Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Last week we began looking at the structure of the famous Satipatthana Sutta. We discovered that the bulk of the text is a series of exercises, a tutorial. An introductory section identifies the practice exemplified by these exercises, as one of contemplation on four themes, body, feelings, mind, and dhammas, and grounds this practice in the method of ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and unhinderedness. We saw that each of the exercises is followed by virtually the same refrain, which provides material for dhammic analysis during the exercise. Since there are 21 exercises, we are looking at only some representative examples. Today, I want to look at a couple of more examples and talk about some other aspects of the Satipatthana Sutta. So let me give a couple more examples. Again, bhikkhus, A bhikkhu reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin, as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grains, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, and a man with good eyes were to open it and review it thus, This is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So too a bhikkhu reviews this same body as full of many kinds of impurity thus. In this bodies there are head hairs, dot, 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 and urine. Each of the body exercises provides an internal perspective on the body. This one is particularly analytical, reviewing the many kinds of organs of the body in turn with all their slime and foulness. This is meant to contrast with the external view of the body as a whole and the topic of our narratives everyday concern and public presentation, a thing that is beautiful or ugly, healthy, young, and fit, or sickly, aged, and weak, well-attired, evocative of lust, and most of all, that is me. 
This exercise is followed by the standard refrain primarily concerned with analyzing the body from this internal perspective, the body in the body, then contrasting it with the external perspective. In this way, he abides contemplating body and body internally, or he abides contemplating body and body externally, or he abides contemplating body and body both internally and externally, or else he abides contemplating in body its nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in body its nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in body its nature of both arising and vanishing, or else proficiency that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and proficiency, and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating body in body. Here's another exercise. Here, a bhikkhu understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. He understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate, and mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected by hate. He understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion, and mind unaffected by delusion as mind unaffected by delusion. He understands contracted mind as contracted mind, and distracted mind as distracted mind. He understands exalted mind as exalted mind, and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. He understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind, and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. He understands composed mind, that is a mind in samadhi, as composed mind, and uncomposed mind as uncomposed mind. He understands liberated mind as liberated mind, and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. This single mind exercises provides an internal analytical perspective on the mind in terms of momentary states of mind. This is meant to contrast with the external view of the mind as a whole as something that emotes, and most of all, that is me. This exercise is followed by the standard refrain primarily concerned with analyzing the mind from this internal perspective, the mind in the mind, then contrasting it with the external perspective. In this way, he abides contemplating mind in mind internally, or he abides contemplating mind in mind externally, or he abides contemplating mind in mind both internally and externally and so on. The next aspect we want to look at is the concluding message of the text, which we didn't get to last week. 
The Satipatthana Sutta ends on a positive note. Bhikkhus, if anyone should develop these four Satipatthanas in such a way for seven years, one of two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return, let alone seven years, bhikkhus, if anyone should develop these four Satipatthanas in such a way for six years, for five years, for four years, for three years, for two years, for one year, one of two fruits could be expected of him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return, let alone one year, bhikkhus, if anyone should develop these four satipatthanas in such a way for seven months, dot dot dot, for six months, for five months, for four months, for three months, for two months, for one month, for half a month, one of two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return, let alone half a month, bhikkhus, if anyone should develop these four satipatthanas in such a way for seven days, one of two fruits could be expected of him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-return. The humorous evocation here might be partially explained in terms of variation in how much progress the individual bhikkhu has made in the prerequisite factors of the path prior to beginning satipatthana practice, the virtue and wisdom factors, as well as in the level of ardency and talent he brings to the Satipatthana method and the Satipatthana practice. So it is with reference to this that it was said, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four Satipatthanas. This echoes the beginning of the Sutta. We conclude, That is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words, as they virtually always are. Now let's look at the correlates of the text. I've been citing from the Pali version of the Satipatthana Sutta, Majjhima Nikaya 10. The Pali tradition also includes many shorter Satipatthana discourses, primarily in the Satipatthana Samyutta and the Anuruddha Samyutta. The middle length, Anapanasati, and the Kayagata Sati suttas also share thematic content with the text. Parallel texts were likewise transmitted in other early historical sects and then collected after translation into the Chinese canon. 
giving us parallels to the Pali Satipatthana Sutta. In the Chinese Madhyama Agama, which derives from the early Savastavada sect, and in the Chinese Ekotarika Agama, which probably derives from the early Mahasangika sect. The Satipatthana Sutta and its parallels are widely considered a later addition to the early Buddhist literature, probably compiled by disciples in the first two centuries after the Buddha from earlier sources. As evidence, the four Satipatthanas are notably missing from the Book of Fours of the Anguttara Nikaya, and comparative evidence suggests complex historical development, since its parallels from other traditions differ significantly in structure and content. The Satipatthana Sutta, along with its parallel verse, has been called a poorly organized late compilation. Nonetheless, I maintain that the Sutta, in spite of all of this, has an almost entirely coherent logic consistent with the body of early teachings, perhaps with a little fraying around the edges, in all of the schools in which we find these correlates. I note that all the various correlates share in common the four categories of body, feelings, mind, and dhammas, the Satipatthana method, and the threefold mode of analysis in terms of internal, external, and both internal and external, even though these may be found in structurally different places and different variants. For instance, the threefold mode of analysis found in the refrain of the text we're considering here is found in a passage similar to the introductory formula of this text in most discourses, both Theravada and in other sects. For instance, here Bhikkhu dwell contemplating body and body internally, ardent, comprehending, proficient, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. Dwell contemplating body in body externally, Dot, dot, dot. Dwell contemplating body in body internally and externally. Dot, dot, dot. I furthermore note also that virtually all Satipatthana texts in all traditions agree on the integration of samadhi as an essential factor in Satipatthana practice. Although here the most notable exception is the Theravada Satipatthana Sutta itself, the text we are considering. Within the other Theravada correlates, reference is routinely made to samadhi, or jhana, as a factor of Satipatthana. Come, friends, dwell contemplating body and body, ardent comprehending, unified, with limpid mind, composed, that is, in samadhi, with one centered, a kagga mind, in order to know body as it really is, dwell contemplating feelings in feelings, dot, 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 in order to know feelings as they really are, dwell contemplating mind and mind, dot, 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 in order to know mind as it really is, 
dwell contemplating phenomena in phenomena, ardent comprehending, unified with limpid mind, composed with one centered mind, in order to know dhammas as they really are. The most significant source of variation among the parallels of this Pali Sutta are the wildly divergent lists of exercises in the contemplation of body and contemplation of dhammas sections. Of the three parallel versions of the sutta, the Majjhima Nikaya, the Ekotarika Agama, and the Majjhama Agama versions, only the anatomical parts, elements, and corpse exercises are common to all three body sections, and only the awakening factors and hindrances are common to all three Dhamma sections. This variation has been explained in terms of derivation from a single proto-discourse with a very small set of exercises, the one common to all variants, from which the three parallel versions evolved only by adding exercises. However, the presumption of evolution of sectarian variants from single proto-discourses has been questioned, and I would suggest that the Satipatthana Sutta is a specific kind of text unlikely to have started as a single recognized proto-discourse. It's a practice tutorial. It's in the very nature of a tutorial that it would be spoken many times in short order from the get-go in many variations presented to different audience of varying backgrounds, attainments, and practice needs, probably by many voices. As with a math tutorial, the range of exercises would likely have been open-ended. It's hard to imagine it not diversifying into many variants in just this way, right from the beginning, as teachers conceive of new exercises that illustrate the underlying principles. I would suggest that early variants of this tutorial opened up to a radically inclusive, in fact, open-ended range of exercises rather than a narrowly exclusive range. Moreover, since the Satipatthana is concerned with verifying and internalizing Dhamma teachings, and there are innumerable Dhamma teachings, it would be surprising if the fourth Satipatthana in particular were not in principle flooded with distinct applicable exercises. Essentially, any Dhamma teaching that manifests in observable experience should be a potential subject of contemplation. So let's look at the purpose of Satipatthana practice. In the remaining talks on this tour of the Satipatthana, I will look at the logic of Satipatthana. What is its function, and how does it fulfill that function? To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. 
That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org, C-I-N-T-I-T-A.